Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. Today, I'm having a conversation with Yorgos Papadopoulos, With a background in economics, Yorgos combines economics and philosophy with an exploratory artistic practice that focuses on the institution of money, its socio-economic functions, and the technologies that support it. Yorgos is a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals Movement 7 with a collective research focus on the notion of community economies. In this conversation, we discuss his research into money as an institution to trace alternative systems of valuation that lead the way towards a community economy. Yorgos, welcome to Palirum. Thank you, Mirto. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, somehow this is a very nice way to end uh, this uh, uh, seven weeks long uh, residency and also to look back to what's happened and also reflect on my practice. So thank you again for having me. Thank you for joining me and thank you for uh, um, allowing me to reflect together on these seven weeks. I'd like to start this conversation um, by discussing a bit your practice. And I know that you have been oscillating between two positions, that of the economist and that of the artist. Two rather conflicting viewpoints, one could say. And I'm curious to know why did you turn to art and how do you negotiate these two positions in your life? I think this, let's say, this move uh, away from uh, conventional economics and uh, towards uh, a more artistic-oriented uh, research had to do with my with the feeling of growing feeling of dissatisfaction uh, with um, conventional economics that... Uh, reached, uh, let's say, a peak in the times of the financial crisis, uh, starting 2009, somehow, uh, really hitting Greece in 2010, 2011, until 2015. So, uh, through my position as an economist, I find it uh, progressively difficult both to discuss uh, with my peers, but even more, let's say, to, to find a position from where I could um, produce a discourse that could make sense of what was happening around me. Also, like a discourse that could help 
friends, family, my social um, uh, circle to come to terms with this kind of uh, mama. Uh, very devastating and very, um, I would say, traumatic experience of the financial collapse in 2008-2009. So, finding myself, so to say, unable to uh, articulate a critique from within economics, I progressively moved away and uh, started to think in a different kind of strategies, but also different kind of discourses to uh, come into terms with what 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 was happening. And at the same time, I found myself institutionally in in a context that was... Uh, very, uh, I would say, supporting of this kind of shift from economics uh, to the arts. Uh, at the time, at, already in the beginning of 2008 and until the end of 2009, exactly like uh, at the time when the financial crisis uh, started and uh, started really uh, developing and showing the magnitude of, of the failure of uh, the financial markets, I was a resident at the a resident at the Jan van Eyck Academy in Maastricht, uh, in the theory department. So I was still kind of in the shoes of the economist, maybe an alternative or critical economist, but nonetheless an economist. The, the issue or the, the characteristic of this um, um, academic institution or this educational institution, if you, if you prefer, was um, an idea or a methodology of uh, transdisciplinarity that was based on uh, bringing together uh, uh, practitioners from the arts, from uh, design and also theorists, uh, trying to find ways to to build um, uh, uh, more um, uh, collective works, uh, collect- collective projects that could somehow combine this kind of three sets of, of, uh, of uh, tools or three, three sets of um, uh, practices. So, on the one hand, there was like this kind of um, uh, collapse both I would say institutional, but also theoretical in the what we could say like uh, the neoclassical economic paradigm. And at the same time, I was fi- I, I, I was finding myself in a context where I was exposed and uh, somehow I would say even infected by uh, different practices and different ideas. So this this pushed me towards towards the arts. Uh, the first years, like uh, uh, immediately after the end of this residency. I was very much engaged with performance art and I was somehow, maybe even sometimes uh, tempted to, self, to self-describe what I was doing as artistic practice, I would say. And nonetheless, I, the more I was getting into the art world, the more uh, uneasy I felt with this kind of label, uh, mainly because uh, my artistic training was relatively incomplete. Also, I think my contribution in the artistic uh, creative process was not very substantial in terms of creating a practice. What I was actually doing was kind of being in a constant uh, dialogue with with artists. So I I realized that I was not really like uh, an artist myself. I was not doing exactly artistic practice, but I was an an interlocutor with artists trying to explain what's happening in the financial uh, markets at the time trying to formulate a critique of uh, uh, neoclassical economics and the neoliberal economic paradigm and try to help them to, uh, let's say, develop uh, a practice that was kind of conductive or uh, productive of, towards this, this critique. Uh, 
this kind of collaboration uh, continues until today and I think that was also part of the reason that uh, or let's say the, the attitude or the intention uh, with which I was coming in the uh, School of Infinite Rehearsals and uh, how I, I work with my, my colleagues, my fellow residents. Uh, but even though this kind of trajectory continues, uh, I tend to describe myself now more as a writer than an artist. And I think this kind of identity very much describes my practice, which is mainly writing, uh, thinking, uh, being in conversation with artists and uh, theorists, but at the same time creates this kind of open space uh, and uh, distances myself from a specific kind of disciplinary framework, let's say, of, of economics, either mainstream or heterodox. What resonated with me by reading through your work is how you treat money not uh, only as a system of exchange, but actually as a system of representation, something that I feel is often being overlooked in the case of uh, money. And I'm borrowing your own words here, how money is actually a technology of intermediation, a governance structure of itself that not only facilitates the circulation of economic value, but also regulates the process of collective negotiation around the valuation. In many respects, the, the financial crisis is, was kind of gravitated um, around money, which is uh, one of the main topics of my research. It's also uh, the topic of my PhD uh, at, in, uh, that I did in Rotterdam. And uh, I think it's very important to understand um, money, not just as a means of exchange, but uh, also, as you suggested, as a, uh, a system of representation. Like in conventional economics, uh, this is described as the unit of account or as the, uh, like a, the, measurement the measurement machine of the economic system. Uh, so... It's, it's the existence of money and the intermediation of money in exchanges that gives rise to the system of prices. The system of prices is itself a symbolic order, a system of representation that puts uh, commodities, uh, services, and even people uh, in a kind of ordering, in a system of uh, comparison in terms of an absolute quantity of value. So if we think how our social environment structure, how our experience of, uh, of society is structured by this kind of process. Like, we get progressively, as we, let's say, get enculturated in the economic system, we get progressively uh, trained to see things in terms of economic value, in terms of prices. So we learn uh, to recognize what is important by the value that is attached to it by the market. And this value is always mediated by money. So in that sense, money becomes a value of um, organizing and understanding the world. Considering value as a structure and money as a medium through which we construct meaning, I, I'm thinking that social transformation demands a collective redefinition of or reconceptualization of value. And I'd like to ask you, what other systems of intermediation would you propose for the democratization of the economic system? I think this is a very central question about uh, how the economy functions, but also how the economic system has 
has this tendency to colonize all, all the other systems of social representation. And I think this this is both a political and uh, I would say practical or technical issue. Political, of course, because you know neoliberal institutions tends tend to present themselves as a all encompassing system of social organization. So there is this kind of underlying assumption that uh, economic value or price is the ultimate criterion of any kind of political decision. Like. Uh, if one looks at the environment with this um, uh, market for CO2 emissions, emissions, sorry, or like healthcare, education, everything in the end of the day boils down in questions of costs, efficiency, and basically money. Nonetheless, of course, like uh, it's I think obvious to any 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 one of us that uh, this system is very abstractive and also like ignores the most elementary uh, human. Uh, or social values, if you want. Like, there is no place for solidarity. There is no place for, um, uh, let's say, compassion. There is no place of, for morality. There is even uh, no place for aesthetics or uh, pleasure. Of so, uh, this is, I guess, like the very uh, obvious case of value against value. So, like, uh, the economic system provides this monocultural system of money, where everything is priced and everything is uh, weighted and calculated. And at the same, and on the other hand, we can see like uh, how, uh, let's say, society, social movements, uh, uh, organizations, uh, artistic uh, institutions, individual uh, people, but also like uh, countercultures, try to, let's say, articulate first kind of their their own kind of system of of, of evaluation by developing a developing in. A, according to a specific kind of set of, of principles, of criteria, of even more values, if you want. And at the same time, how to position this alternative system vis-a-vis uh, -vis, like, the market valuation. And this is, there is this constant struggle. There have been uh, efforts to, let's say, organize uh, alternative systems of valuation that are very similar to money by infusing them with uh, social ideas. Like alternative currencies is a very uh, uh, common example of this uh, uh, this process. Not always very successful, but uh, nonetheless, uh, one of the efforts that is made to like uh, infect the economic and monetary system with values of solidarity, values of respecting of the environment, values of uh, care, values of... Uh, uh, local uh, uh, support mechanisms, and uh, I think this is this is uh, one of the ways that this this could could move forward. Another way is completely ignoring the monetary system and its kind of system of prices and uh, establishing uh, relations that are not based on uh, on exchange, but rather like let's say on uh, solidarity, on community, on religious principles or artistic uh, ideas. So there are this kind of, I would say, two possibilities. On the one hand, it's like try to reprogram money to uh, introduce other values than uh, individualism and efficiency. And the other ways to maybe ignore uh, as much as possible the whole system of economic uh, exchange and market uh, evaluation. Um, what you were saying brings me to another question that has to do with scale. It's always, uh, to my mind, that, you know, 
small communities or small groups of people try to um, deal differently with money by um, creating um, alternative currencies or other ways of uh, formulating their exchanges. But it's always, we're always talking about small groups. And it's not like a way that we can globally create the system that would pervade the whole of society, let's say. I guess this is also a little bit um, both um, uh, the advantage, but also the disadvantage of of a monetary system. It's a very simple mechanism that uh, collects information and produces very simple properties about commodities, relations. And this could could be up you can uh, you can schedule it up as much as uh, as you like especially now with uh, uh, information and communication technologies where information is travels much faster and like the possibility of let's say processing this very simple information is very uh, also easy and efficient you get like uh, this kind of tendency of market system to uh, to get globalized unfortunately when we we talk about, let's say, qualitative um, uh, valuators and valuation, not quantitative, as in the case of price. Then uh, the definition of specific kind of relationships or specific kind of acts of valuation needs to be somehow mediated by a more sophisticated system of, of um, negotiation. It's not just supply and demand. It's not just the real preferences of the uh, consumers and the producers. Uh, that needs to be considered, but this had to be, uh, let's say, uh, modified by other kind of considerations, let's say about the environment or about uh, uh, social values or aesthetic uh, uh, ideas or uh, considerations. So it's 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 very difficult, first of all, to decide uh, which of these principles should be included in this kind of negotiation. And even more difficult is how to negotiate this in a more larger scale. So usually when you have uh, communities that are uh, small, homogeneous and relatively uh, well connected, then it's this possibility can arise and do, does arise and like there is time and space and uh, also desire for this kind of negotiations. But the more uh, uh, heterogeneous a group becomes, the bigger it uh, becomes, this kind of process becomes very Difficult and also like uh, even the very basic agreement of uh, a third system of values is lacking. So uh, scaling up is uh, it's always an issue, but at the same time, uh, maybe this is also like a, maybe there is a reason that this scaling up should not happen. Like uh, we see that the, we think that the globalized marketplace is a good thing, but at the same time, there is a lot of. Uh, concern about like how this globalized system uh, destroys uh, uh, diversity, how it imposes very specific kind of uh, monopolistic tendencies, how it uh, defines, uh, like transforms and alienates communities from their basic values. So I think it's maybe not necessarily a good thing to uh, always uh, work uh, on a very uh, high level of abstraction, and maybe there's an inability to, to to scale up this more, uh, I would say, socially conscious or uh, uh, 
morally important uh, systems of exchange might be also a sign that we maybe should not uh, try to move towards that direction. Or at least uh, always keep this kind of lower level uh, considerations uh, present and active in the whole process. We can also recognize an interesting inversion. It's not only that uh, money produces a new system of representation. The case of banknotes and coins are a very useful example. And I was wondering whether you could elaborate maybe a bit more on how currency relies but also contributes to the process of collective representations of community, identity and value. And also maybe comment on how this mechanism might work now when currency is completely phased out by digital platforms of economic valuation and exchange. So as I suggested already, like like, uh, systems of exchange create this kind of, let's say, homogenize uh, tendency communities by imposing a, a shared system of, of economic valuation. But at the same time, for money to operate, we have to have this kind of community. And this was both true for, let's say, more um, uh, alternative or socially uh, conscious uh, Exchange um, uh, economic exchange system, but I think also like in the in the in the level of the nation state or now in the case of uh, intergovernmental uh, uh, areas like the European Union, even there 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 must be some kind of an elementary I would say uh, consensus about identity, about trust, about institutions, about uh, uh, civil society in order for money to operate, and this is already kind of being represented and pursued by the very uh, materialization of money into currency. Like when we look at banknotes and coins, we always see a kind of a very specific set of symbols. So we see like a, a nationally important landscapes or historically defining uh, monuments of a, of a culture that uh, suggest this kind of construction of a third identity. We see like important figures of the, of the state uh, who somehow are connected uh, with, with the historical trajectory of development of a, of a national identity. So this somehow tries to communicate already the fact that uh, uh, there is a community that serves uh, both a cultural um, uh, system of references, historical continuity, but also currency. And this is like the very elementary basis for um, uh, the building of a trust that uh, uh, money needs to, to, to inspire in order to, to operate. At the same time, this kind of production of, a let's say, an uh, iconography of a national identity and economic value is also like a, a sign towards or a representation towards other countries. So like uh, money and currency is one of the first things that uh, people would um, recognize when they're going to a foreign country. And also like this kind of even, you could say like even a cliche representation of, a, let's say, the Greek or the uh, now European or maybe Russian or uh, uh, Japanese national identities is both uh, a construction that is directed towards the uh, nation state internally, but also it's one of the most recognizable uh, areas where this identity is represented for uh, for internationally, for, for the rest of the world. I think like currency next to flags is probably the second most important uh, uh, 
um, place for representing and communicating national identity. So there are these two parallel processes. On the one hand, you see like uh, money is kind of homogenizing uh, uh, a culture, but uh, by imposing a, a unitary system of valuation, but at the same time relies to this kind of uh, homogenization in order to to function and represents it through this kind of very simple um, um, uh, iconographies of what a nation uh, means or how a nation is like kind of uh, defined both geographically, culturally, and historically. So what happens now, and I think it's already maybe an interesting thing to look at the euro, is that uh, currencies are becoming more and more um, invisible because we use like uh, different platforms to to pay from a kind of bank cards to mobile phones, maybe even to like uh, uh, digital uh, currencies or cryptos. And this kind of, I would say this level of representation that, or this function of representation money used to uh, fulfill is somehow uh, disappears at the same time. And if we see like uh, the euro, which is a very interesting kind of experiment, but also one of the youngest currencies, uh, I think it's like now maybe a little bit more than 20 years old, we see this. Pro we saw this process of, let's say, design identification and neutralization already happening. If you look at the, the banknotes, there is this kind of um, pattern of architectural styles that define, let's say, European culture. But this is already deterritorialized. So, like we see, like uh, Gothic or uh, Greco-Roman uh, arches. But these are not representation of a specific kind of monument that exists, but kind of an architectural style. So already here we see that uh, in the same way the nation state becomes more and more obsolete, the representations in money become more and more uh, abstract. And this, this process of abstraction is also uh, becoming more and more um, visible with uh, uh, digital platforms. Again, we have like corporate logos, we have a specific visual architecture of the uh, platform itself both uh, to make them uh, uh, user-friendly but also like somehow to provide a, a different kind of screen for the projection of trust. We have also homogenization in a more global scale so we see like a, a payment platform is the same uh, in Bangkok as in Mexico City or in uh, Quebec. So it's it's very interesting like now how the uh, this process of global integration of the payment system and payment platform creates also kind of a common uh, frame of reference for the users to, to navigate. And also like this creates also a different way to, to develop and project your identity. So I think it's, it's interesting to see this kind of uh, trajectory from nation state to global economy uh, and at the same time the trajectory from national currencies to digital platforms and how this the one mirrors the other visually and aesthetically. And in one of your previous works, you actually played a bit with this abstraction and um, and tried to comment on the financial crisis that was happening in Greece, and you used the banknotes um, as a reference. Yeah, this was like uh, my second book. It was an edited volume called Grexit, and um, I was trying to to create a narrative or to develop a narrative about um, 
the very strange relations that uh, Greece and the European Union had in these uh, years of uh, when the financial uh, crisis had reached this, let's say, highest point, especially in, in Greece with the uh, haircuts of the uh, uh, of the national debt, uh, the austerity program, the intervention of the IMF, and all the discussion about uh, how Greece should um, uh, leave the European Monetary Union, leave the euro, and go back to the drachma. So what 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 I tried to do the, in this book is to trace the cultural history of the Greek currency to see how the first drachmas, uh, modern drachmas, were produced, chosen the different kind of visual um, identities that uh, the drachma. Uh, adopted how they were designed, what was the uh, frame of reference, what was the narrative that was developed. But at the same time, I I, I tried to experiment uh, with the, the very design of the book itself. So I was working at the time with uh, two very uh, competent, I think, uh, graphic designers. And the whole idea of the book is to, to use specific kind of um, uh, security technologies that uh, the banknotes have and insert them in the text as kind of visual elements. So there was this idea of using a specific kind of coloring that is uh, uh, particular to banknotes, uh, micro typography, even like this kind of um, uh, uh, digital safeguards that prevent uh, banknotes to be scanned and then integrate all these all these elements in the book. So uh, the book was not only assuming uh, or addressing the content of the uh, uh, the cultural content of banknotes and its, their history, but also uh, adopting a series of of of, of the very technical uh, uh, characteristics of the book of the banknotes. Sorry, so it was. I think it was a very interesting mirroring. Uh, another very uh, important thing I, uh, about banknotes, and I think this is uh, also a very interesting uh, research strategy, is that like. Banknotes are a very, it's a, they're a very disciplined uh, system of, of of representation. There are specific elements that should always be there. There are like uh, security technologies are very very prominent, and this creates a very specific uh, uh, space for intervention. And what I realized by working in this very uh, let's say disciplined or very specific uh, space, both theoretically and uh, aesthetically or artistically, this created a strange a lot of space for experimentation. Because if you have a lot of elements or variables that are very specific, this in a very paradoxical way gives you a lot of freedom. So this, this created a very, I hope, fertile ground, both theoretically and aesthetically to to, to, to discuss about money, to discuss about crisis, to discuss about the experience of Greece in the European Union in these years of extreme uh, antagonism and uh, despair and uh, uncertainty. Well, I think we, we made a very nice introduction uh, into your thinking around money and uh, the economic system. But I'd like to move this discussion a little bit further and talk more specifically about the School of Infinite Rehearsals and the movement group that you were part of. And I remember in a previous conversation that we had together, you told me that there is a contradiction between community or society, to speak more broadly, and economy. 
in the sense that money allows the individual to become independent and break its ties from the social nexus. So I'm interested to hear from you, uh, how do you perceive the term community economies? I think this is a, a very productive contradiction, uh, especially at the level of, of community. Because community suggests this um, organic, even uh, bond between the members. It also like uh, points out to a relationship that it's not a relationship of efficiency of means and ends, but a relationship of coexistence. So in this context, let's say the individual or the subject is connected to in a very specific way with the community. Its well-being uh, is dependent on the well-being of the community and his whole uh, existence somehow is defined by the existence of the community. And one of the main uh, processes or the main... Uh, uh, trajectories of modernity is the, this kind of uh, disengagement for all good and for all bad of the subject from the community and the creation of, let's say, more impersonal uh, relationships. So division of labor starts to develop, individuals stop to rely so much on the community, also the monocultural character of the communities is becoming um, eroded and uh, a distance is, is created. And this distance, first of all, uh, transforms the relationship between uh, uh, subject and uh, community, creating what we call now the individual and individualism, and creates this more mechanic way of, of coexistence, where the individual uses the community or the, now let's say, society or uh, the system for its own benefit. So uh, the environment becomes means to the ends of the satisfaction of the desires of the individual. And this is always very much um, uh, defined by the emergence of money, which makes the division of labor possible. So people could not could just focus on one kind of activity, produce, sell their surplus, and like with the money that they can buy other stuff to satisfy their needs. And this kind of existence of uh, money triggers this process of, let's say, division of labor and. Uh, Led, leads to more and more dis, di, uh, diversification. So, like even like traditional structures, like uh, let's say family or uh, production of specific kind of commodities, are being very much, um, uh, I would say, delegated uh, to third parties. So the individual has to do just one thing, very good, and then through this kind of activity, has to finance other. Activities like family, support, care, health, uh, well-being, everything is somehow uh, mediated by money and uh, delegated to other either agents. And this, of course, creates a very important sense of alienation, both because the individual tends to be alienated uh, by the, from the product of his or her own work, but also because the individual is alienated by other more traditional institutions. I mentioned already the family, like maybe like a, a religion could be another one. Uh, uh, social uh, bonds or social groups are also kind of being um, um, uh, eroded by this process. So it's very, very strange when you put the, the term of economy and community together because economy actually is like a, a force that um, uh, 
antagonizes the existence of community. Like it creates this this tension and also uh, the possibility of the the birth of the individual. Economy is actually the very institution that transforms the community from a uh, a social uh, a system of coexistence to the means for the satisfaction of the ends of the individual. So, uh, are community economies possible or not? The thing is that um, I think when you when this process of um, let's say individual individuation starts already the idea of community needs to be renegotiated so it has to be a conscious decision by uh, the individuals now to try to uh, safeguard certain of the principles of the community try to i would say maintain specific kind of bonds to the community and this is always like a process of constant negotiation, how much the economic system permits uh, social and community relations, what is uh, allowed to be in the, uh, f- let's say, the field of the market or the field of exchange, and what is remains, let's say, on a more protected uh, uh, sphere where economic considerations are not con- included. So it's very, very interesting and very difficult to, to maintain uh, uh, economy and community in a in a balanced relationship, because there is always the tendency to to get much more um, uh, uh, specialized, much more detached from uh, uh, more traditional uh, community structures, and become more efficient. So, I think when this process is triggered, there is a uh, a mechanism that uh, draws away uh, uh, individuals from their uh, traditional social relations. It's interesting to hear your take on uh, the term, and I'm uh, curious, in this very interdisciplinary group where you were obviously bringing your own background uh, and your own engagement with uh, um, economics, how did you manage to um, to establish a common ground? I have to say, it was for me, it was the first to work in a, such a diverse and such large group. We were like seven of us, but still, you know, usually I work like, I have been working with one or two people together. And even then, like, their roles are very much defined from the uh, the beginning. Also, like, what we're trying to, to, to achieve, what's, what's the end product, if any, or what is the reason of this kind of working together in a coexistence. In the case of the School of Infinite Intrusions, there was this kind of new... Uh, condition for me that it was not only like a very much larger uh, group that I used to work with and uh, much more diverse but it was like also like a a space where there was no uh, pre-existing agreements or pre-existing expectations uh, that would define uh, what this collaboration was about. This was very, I would say, frustrating, but also very liberating at the same time. And it was also a very, very productive process for me, in the sense that uh, it gave me both uh, insights on how this kind of process works or how this kind of um, uh, negotiation of research interests, uh, sharing of research skills could uh, 
be productive, but at the same time, it allowed me to have a very uh, intimate intellectual relationship with my uh, with the other residents. So I learned a lot by in this process of just negotiating on what we do, sharing the skills. This this was, I think, a very a, a very useful experience intellectually. Another thing that I I would uh, I would say uh, was very enlightening about this process is like. It made the the context of this um, working together very uh, visible. So, like, because there was no, I would say, internal uh, uh, gravitational uh, point, the the space that was somehow uh, uh, engulfing us and like contextualizing us, like on us as a, as an institution, became very visible. What is possible? How? Uh, Work is uh, being conducted. What is the role of the, uh, uh, I would say the, the facilitators or the 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 the, uh, the team of Onassisir that organized, let's say, this kind of of process was was very uh, very apparent. And also, like I could see how certain elements of the of the program could function. I was somehow very much because I was somehow living uh, uh, in this kind of choreographed research environment. And this was also a very rewarding experience because I've never have had this position of, let's say, organizing a research project of this kind of, um, I would say, uh, experimental anarchy. Uh, I have one last question before we close our discussion. I know that at the moment you are about to start looking more deeply into the relationship between economy and theology. And I'm very curious to hear from you what kind of connections you are willing to trace between these two fields. I think, even though it seems that um, uh, there is a very like a big rift between economy and uh, theology, already like uh, there is this immediate reference to the sacred and the profane, like the religious and the uh, I would say commercial. But at the same time, I think uh, theology was very much connected with the economy from from the beginning. Uh, and I'm not just going to mention the, the very tired, but also very important reference of Max Weber and a Protestant ethic, but also like the very idea of value is kind of goes back to uh, the divine. Like gold and uh, religion and um, ritual are intricately connected. Huh? And this somehow creates also the uh, foundation for people to, to, to value things or like uh, recognize some things as exceptional and not exceptional. Uh, two other uh, elements that I want to uh, refer to is that strangely economic, the economy is also like a very, uh, it's, it's a concept that comes also from um, theology. There is this idea of the economy in the plan of God uh, uh, to save the humanity, uh, and economy is also used to explain apparent contradictions uh, that we see in the world, like why is there evil in the world, why certain things are allowed to be ha- happen, and uh, why, uh, let's say, we don't have this kind of very strict moral order. All of these are somehow uh, accommodating this idea that uh, uh, sometimes the means uh, are justified by then. So the means of, uh, like the existence of, of evil is a means 
to uh, allow humans to be both free and to uh, save themselves. And uh, uh, a different way that economy also like features in in theology has to do uh, strangely or very uh, uncannily with the question of representation. One of the main debates, uh, especially like I think in many of in all monotheistic relations religions, but uh, something that somehow still is a uh, very prominent in uh, Christianity is the, the question of, of representation of gods or representation of saints. And again here is the idea of, of an economic reasoning that allows this kind of process. Because representations of the divine, which are prohibited in uh, all the other monotheistic religions, Islam and uh, Judaism, is allowed uh, in uh, uh, Christianity as, as a way again to uh, realize uh, the the divine plan and also as a way to support uh, uh, faith by 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 the Christian dom and creating this kind of uh, space for um, um, ritual and uh, communion and uh, uh, and mass and the and the Eucharist. So economy becomes an argument for basically the representation of authority. So we see how the very discussion of how authority and power is represented, it's, it's filtered uh, through economics uh, via theology in order to produce this kind of um, political system of, of representation that allows for a specific plan to, to be realized, the divine plan of the salvation of, of humans. And of course, in the process, I would hope to save myself, not just uh, be theoretically involved in this kind of uh, discourse. I hope you're saved. Yorgos, it was very nice uh, talking with you today. Thank you for sharing. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more conversations, please subscribe to our channel. You can find more about the UNASSA residency program and each participant at www.onasses.org. This series is produced by UNASSA. Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.